While attending college for computer science, Tim Schafer decided that he enjoyed telling stories on top of programming. So when Lucasfilm Games posted a job looking for computer programmers who could also write dialogue, it was a dream job to him. Though he almost blew the interview, Schaefer snagged the job and began a career developing adventure games that would eventually lead him to create his own company and work towards developing today's topic, Psychonauts, released for Windows and Xbox back in April 2005. Today we're going to tell Tim's story and follow it through the creation of Psychonauts. We'll talk about Psychonauts itself and its relevance to gaming culture today. So stick around and join us as we hop into the mind of one of gaming's more notable designers on today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 86th episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we take a look back at one game relevant to the current week in gaming history and we talk about it. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the game, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. This week, we are looking back at Psychonauts. Originally released for Microsoft Windows and the Xbox on April 19th, 2005. I'm David Casson, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, who also has a knack for reading people's minds, my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, what am I thinking right now? You're thinking of how excited you are to be doing another episode with your brother, Rob. <laughs> I guess See, I win either way there because either I'm right or you sound like a dick. I mean, but I am a dick sometimes. Yeah, but not to the fans. No, not to the fans, but to you. Yeah, not yeah, really to you either. So the fans like me. So, you know. Uh, oh, do they now? <laughs> all right. Well, how are you, Dave? I'm good. You've been doing all right. We haven't yeah. really we I haven't really been playing games this week. We haven't this is probably the first week in a long time that we haven't really had a chance to hang out and play games, huh? Yeah, that's very true. I mean I I haven't been I haven't been playing. I I, I just had other things going on. So uh so with that being said, I mean I did play some games, which we'll get to in a second, but first what are you playing? Well, I've been playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel, okay. uh World of Warships. Rocket League. Um, I feel like there's one that I am forgetting. Oh, some Apex Legends. Yeah. Nice. That game got about... any better? Um, I mean, I don't know what your reference point is to say better because... Launch. Oh, I mean, I didn't really play it too much at launch. Um, But I know that this... I think it was two or three, whatever season I started on. Um, It's got some perks since then like newer characters but at the same time i mean some of the gun nerfs kind of suck so you know you got your trade-offs true enough true enough what have you been what have you been playing huh huh um i tackled um tackled some of the game we're playing today and then admittedly finished it by watching the cutscenes on um watching the cutscenes on like a youtube playthrough because i just couldn't find the time to play it completely through um, not the worst thing in the world because this year a sequel was released for it. I do plan on sitting and playing through the entire sequel now, so that's nice. I played, I believe, a couple games of Rocket League. I think I did my Forza Weeklies. I played some Guardians of the Galaxy, and then I've been back on a VR kick. I've managed to pick up my headset almost every night which is probably why I've been playing with you guys because VR is not really a social thing for us. It should be, but it's not. So I've been playing Half-Life Alex. I played a game called Racket NX. I played a game called Swarm, which is a first-person shooter where you have grappling hooks and you're in like an aerial arena. So you have to like grapple platforms to swing through the air and shoot people as you're swinging through the air. It's really cool. 
Uh, and I played I played Ragnarok, which we bought in a recent Humble Bundle. I think you picked it up too, right? Uh, probably. I haven't checked those in quite a while, so I don't know. No, it's currently a Humble Bundle you can buy. So if you didn't, there's a lot of really great VR games in there, including Ragnarok. Now, Ragnarok. Oh, that bundle. Yeah, yeah, no. Nope. Yep, I got you. Ragnarok is a drumming, Viking drumming game where you're basically on a Viking ship drumming with music as you know as you're sailing and um it's a it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun actually i've been having a ton of fun playing it the soundtrack is killer and i've got it cranked up to like the hardest difficulty because it's just sometimes it's too hard but the middle difficulty is a little too easy when you have a, a good sense of rhythm like us who've been playing music most of our lives um and and it is a killer workout for someone like me who's not in shape to be honest with you so yep sounds like a lot of fun it is you have it you should play it you would really like it it's i think well i i don't think it's your style of music and you get to play kick-ass drums along with it so hmm. it's definitely your style of music <clears throat> definitely gonna have to check it out once uh i get back on the vr well, when you do, let me know because it's got multiplayer, so you can you you wipe the floor with me in every music game. So you're gonna do it with that one too. You have some fun wiping the floor with me. Well, Dave, enough about Ragnarok. I think there's another game we're supposed to be talking about today, but I can't quite think of what it is. Psychonauts. Oh, oh. You know anything about go. Psychonauts? Uh, I know it was a game that came out for Windows and Xbox, but uh, no, beyond that, never played it. No, that one did, escaped your radar too. I knew about it. I just, for some reason, I think it was just before I got the Xbox because I didn't have the original Xbox and didn't have a lot of computer games at the time. Just mostly Battlefield because dad played them too. True enough. Today we're going to look at the story of its creator, Tim Schafer. You, have you ever heard of Tim Schafer before? Uh, the name sounds kind of familiar, yeah. yeah. But you don't follow video game designers as much, do you? No, not as much at all. Mm. Like at all. Yeah, like at all. You just know that you like specific series. <laughs> si, senor. So like many game designers that we talk about, Tim Schafer started out as one of us. He was a gamer who loved all things video games. His earliest video game memory was of a little stand-up arcade cabinet called Space Race that he was able to play while at summer camp. Now, we've briefly touched on Space Race in the past. It was Atari's second arcade cabinet, which was made just after Pong. So it was really one of the one of the earliest arcade cabinets available you know, to the public. Which really means that Tim Schafer was there in the beginning. You know, one really fascinating thing about him is he he talks a lot. There's a lot of interviews around for him. So today I have a lot of words right out of his mouth. In a 2015 interview, he said, I don't know what it's like for kids when there were already games, but I just remember there not being games and then there being games. That was so exciting for me. My older brother was nine years older than me. My parents had a kid every other year and then there was a four year gap and then me. Whenever I wanted to play Sorry or Shoots and Ladders or whatever, they were like, that game's stupid. They wouldn't play games with me, and I just wanted to play all of these kid games they wouldn't play. Then video games came out, and I was like, I can play these by myself. I don't need my brothers and sisters to play with me. There was a funny connection between being solitary and video games that, that then comes all the way around to nowadays, where video games are a social thing for me. They pulled me out of isolation. Which is kind of the way it was for a lot of us, right? I think I think early on, video games weren't a very social activity, and now they're more so a social activity for the majority of people. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, now we have the internet. The internet has everything to do with that, I think. You know, be before social was, you know, being a couch potato with your best friends or for us or older going to the arcade. And now we do this over the internet, like, you know, we, we hang out and have a podcast or we hang out, and play video games. So socials, have, the concept of, of being social is very different nowadays. Yeah, I can agree to that. So as Tim grew up, 
Video games were always a part of his life. His family had a Magnavox Odyssey, which was the first home console. They had an Atari 2600. And like many of us, myself included, that have had the luxury to grow up with video games, Tim has always been in awe of the way technology's progressed. You know, in the same interview, he said, I was thinking about when the first 3D polygonal games came out. It just felt magical to be in three-dimensional space. I remember Alone in the Dark, which was a zombie game. There was a monster bashing on the bedroom door, and you can see it through the cracks of the door coming at you. Then you can go out in the hallway and look down at the same door and see the same monster from the side. They didn't have to paint a new direction. It was just being shown from a different angle. It felt like it was alive and real because it was 3D. Nowadays, that's not exciting. Seeing a character from two sides, you don't care at all. It doesn't impress you. It does not feel magical at all. It's too bad that that stuff is so transitory because you really can't recapture the magic of when new technology comes out and it just feels crazy, which is something I've talked about many times. I feel, you know, yeah, that it's really hard to just like, I'm always going guys, when this game came out, it blew everyone's mind guys. When this came out, it was the first, it blew everyone's mind and y'all are like, eh, whatever, but it really did blow everyone's mind at the time. So in talking about having the Atari 2600, Tim recalled getting a popular Atari game called Adventure. I was so excited, he recalled. I just ran out of the car and tore open the box and just started playing. I didn't read the manual at all. I was like, what's happening? I'm a square? There was an arrow, and there was a horn cup and a castle, and a duck was attacking me. I just remember how confused I felt, but also excited as well as confused. I was so happily confused the whole time that I didn't know what was going to happen next. To me, that's always stuck with me as something I really enjoyed. Something I feel like I rely on that too much in games. I expect everyone to be as delighted by being as confused as me. It's not often that other people find it as pleasant as I do. I love it when I feel disoriented and confused and I'm in a world where anything can happen. I don't know if a duck is going to swallow me whole. There were dragons, of course, but I love that feeling. And so this feeling was something that stuck with Tim as he went to college to study computer science. And while the programming was something that he was progressing in, it was storytelling that uh, that actually became his thing. As I was going through college, he said, I became more interested in creative writing and started taking creative writing classes. I wanted to be like Kurt Vonnegut, you know, writing short stories. I would read stories about his life and he worked at General Electric as an engineer during the day. And then at night he would write short stories. He got his first check for $300 and I was like, I want $300. So I get a job programming databases because those are so plentiful, I don't even have to think about it. The only jobs were that you saw were database programming jobs. And so he tried that for a while. He hit he did database programming, you know, and, and he kept pursuing creative writing. And then one day at school, he stumbled across a job listing at Lucasfilm Games. They were looking for programmers that could also write dialogue for video games, which to Tim was a match made in heaven, wouldn't you say? Yeah, no, I definitely think that's a pretty pretty lucky chance for him. But it almost didn't happen. <gasps> Why not? I know, right? So Tim pretty famously blew, blew the interview. So the guy that was interviewing is David Fox, and David Fox asked him what other games he had played, and he responded, I love Ball Blaster the best. And David looked at me and said, Ball Blaster, eh? I thought it was called that in the pirated version. So Ball Blaster was the pirated version. Ball Blazer was the official version that was released in retail. And so Tim had gotten that disc from a friend of a friend from someone who worked at Atari and would make them discs of like 16 games. And that's where he had played it. And so he thought that he had blown it by admitting that he played a pirated game. But still, David said, send me your resume with a cover letter letter describing your ideal job. And so he sent in a cover letter in which he drew a little text adventure with pictures of him trying to find the ideal job. It just was dumb pictures that he had drawn and he got their attention and he got the job. So you can actually go, you can actually go online and see it. It still exists in this day. No, nice. And so Lucasfilm games hired him as a scumlet which was slang for an assistant designer or programmer at the time. It was basically the lowest rung on the totem pole. 
Yeah, it sounds pretty derogatory, I'm not going to lie. Yeah, yeah, so let's talk about the word scumlet for a second. So, scum was S-C-U-M-M, scum, which stands for the Script Creation Utility for Maniac Mansion, and it was a video game engine developed at Lucasfilm Games. So if it wasn't uh, okay. o- if it wasn't obvious, it was first developed for Maniac Mansion to ease development on 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 making it. Um, Maniac Mansion was a 1987 graphic adventure game. It's a very notable game in the graphic adventure genre, and like most game engines, like I said, it was designed so Lucasfilm programmers could quick more quickly develop games quick quicker and easier and so on and so forth. So, um. I plugged Maniac Mansion into next year's schedule, just as a side note, so we could talk about scum in detail sometime. So, well, there you go. Plug for go. a future episode. Plug for which, a uh, there's somewhere future. you can go to find that out. <laughs> it's a way future episode. It ain't gonna be on there yet. But so what I do is as I as we talk about games like this, and I'm like, we should talk about this. We should talk about that. I just fill in the schedule for 2023. Make it easy on me right now, not not having to sit down at you know our usual end of the year and, and plan out the next year. So in Tim's case, at the time, they didn't have any scumlet work when he was first hired. So he, along with a few other scumlets, were given the task of testing the new Indiana Jones game that the development studio was working on. And after that was finished, they were all invited out to Skywalker Ranch for Scum University, where they would spend some time with one of the creators and the initial programmer of Scum, Ron Gilbert, learning how to use it. At some point during Scum University, Gilbert would approach Tim and another programmer named Dave Grossman with an idea for a pirate comedy game. This game would become one of the most acclaimed graphic adventure games of all time, The Secret of Monkey Island. After this success, Schaefer would go on to work on other titles for LucasArts, including Monkey Island 2, Day of the Tentacle, which was a sequel to Maniac Mansion. There was a biker adventure called Full Throttle uh, and a noir adventure game called Grim Fandago. You know any of those games? Not a one, Dave. Man. It was sometime after Grim Fandango. Fandango. I loved that game. It was it, it's such a stylistic, awesome game. Actually, most of those games are awesome. Maniac Mansion, Monkey Island is a great series. I never played Full Throttle, admittedly, and I, I loved Grim Fandango. So like I said, after some time after Fandango, you know, the idea for Psychonauts had come to Tim. You know, he LucasArts at that time had started to shift focus from these point and click adventure games to making more PlayStation 2 action games. And after Tim had played games like Mario 64, Final Fantasy 7, the original Tomb Raider, he really wanted to make a game that would pan around in 3D and not be limited by the point and click interface that he was used to. And so he had an idea for a spy game. And in this spy game, in this spy game, there was a mechanic in which you would meditate on an object in order to have an interactive vision. And that vision would give you clues about the real world. And that's, that's how people came to know the project. So at some point, someone asked him to tell them about the game where you go into people's heads again. And he was like, no, 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 no. You go into your own head. It's it's a meditation deal. But the concept of going into other people's heads, that was a much better idea to him. And it really just stuck with him. But unfortunately, that spy game never entered production. Lucas Arts, it, it was Lucas Arts by this time. Lucas Films became Lucas Arts, which is the one we all know nowadays. Lucas Arts canceled production on it and focus on other things probably star wars something who knows and it was really about this time that a large number of developers were leaving lucas arts because of the studio's new focus these were all developers that were more into the adventure genre the graphic adventure genre and they weren't as keen they really didn't enjoy working on these playstation action games in the same way And so a bunch of them approached Tim with the idea of leaving the company to develop PS2 games on their own, which admittedly Schaefer wasn't about. You know, he had been at Lucasfilm Arts, whichever, for a long time. He felt really secure with his job. I mean, who who would want to leave that for founding your own studio with nothing, you know? 
it's right. just it's just such a a leap of faith. No, that it is, Dave. But you know, lots of people do it. I think it's easier nowadays than it was back then. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? He, to- he toyed with it for a while, and then in January of 2000, he left Lucas Arts and he founded Double Fine Productions. When he founded Double Fine and he was looking for a project to do, he returned to the spy game idea. And in a, uh, another interview, he said, I'm going to do this game where you go into other people's heads. This fit in with a lot of other stuff I was interested in when I was studying psychology in college. I took a whole psychology of dreams class and I loved how people would explain their dreams and analyze them by telling about the dreams. There was this video of this woman who was talking about this fountain. The therapist said, now put yourself in the position of the fountain and tell the story. And the woman was like, I'm the fountain and I'm giving all this water all the time. No one is drinking it, but I'm always full of water. It's really fresh. She started crying and I was like, this is so crazy. This is so interesting how she basically done did what a poet does. She made a metaphor, a very abstract metaphor for what was going on in her, in her own head. But she did it while she was asleep and not as a professional writer or poet or anything. You know, she made this beautiful metaphor for how she feels. I think that's so cool how everyone has the ability to create metaphors for emotional things. When you're in your dream and you're fighting a bear, that means something. Even if it's just the repetition of a feeling you have. So I just wanted to make this game that went into people's worlds and you saw the fountain and you saw the bear. And it meant something about that person. It was a whole new way to do environmental storytelling. The environment is someone's brain. Now, with that being said, there was another interview where he was flat out asked when he first conceived the stories for Psychonauts itself. And he said, way back during Full Throttle, while making it, there's a sequence where the main character was going to eat peyote and go on this interactive peyote trip. We thought that was pretty cool, but we were working with a family entertainment company at the time, and we really didn't think it would fly. We tried to do it different ways, and it really didn't work out. And so every game since, I've tried to put in some sort of interactive psychological trip or interactive dream sequence or something like that because you can mess with images that are on the level of surrealism. Like a Miyamoto game, you get these crazy surreal images and they are really cool to look at. The cool thing is if you do that in a dream or in a mental world, they're all part of the dreamer's head. They all have psychological significance and they all mean something. You see that in someone's head and you know when there's a bullet and it has eyes on front of it, that says something about that guy. And then you come out of his head and you go, whoa, 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 whoa. What's going on inside that person's head? So obviously he likes messing around with the kooky, crazy people. You know what I mean? Uh, Yeah, I would say so. So they took this spy game idea. Schaefer would work on writing most of the game script and dialogue, co-writing it with another writer, Eric Wolpaul. Now, Wolpaul is nowadays a a very relatively well-known video game writer this was his first writing credit after co-writing psychonauts he would get hired by valve where he would earn writing credits on half-life 2 episode 1 and 2 portal portal 2 he's the main writer for both the portal games and the writer for left for dead uh he also recently wrote the story for half-life alex so he's he's kind of a heavy hitter in the video game world so well, damn, those are I, some names that I definitely know. I know. But now, 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 uh, now, yeah, now, <laughs> back, back then, not so much. Um, back then, not so much. The level designs in the game were generally the result of an idea presented to Schaefer by the team. The team that would then flesh out the concept arts and gameplay concepts around the idea. For example, one of the game's most famous levels is called the Milkman Conspiracy, which takes place in the mind of Boyd, who is a mental patient that is obsessed with conspiracy theories. Schaefer had known going in that he wanted to do a a level on someone who believed in conspiracy theories, but he really couldn't frame it until one night at a double fine dinner event in which someone uttered the line, I am the milkman, my milk is delicious which led to Schaefer to create Boyd, who is a milkman bent on conspiracy theories. He then worked out a web of theories, wanting to de- the level to be designed as a web around those, and he tied it into a backstory about a person who had been fired from various jobs. Now, this was partially inspired by a homeless person that they occasionally hired to clean their office front. 
Now, he it's a milkman, so he wanted to give the level a, a 50 suburban vibe because this fit into the uh, the obsession with like spy themes and and delusion. Also, the milkman concept, and so from there they worked it little by little into the level it's known for today. I should say though, before moving on, that not every concept that they had was a winner. So originally, the main character was conceived as an ostrich that was suffering from a mental imbalance and multiple personalities. An ostrich. I mean, I don't, I don't know why an ostrich, but an ostrich. Why not an emu? That's a good question. Um, or heron crane. With that being said, the idea was killed by Schaefer because he strongly believes in games being wish fulfillments. And well, as he put it, there probably aren't many people who fantasize about being an insane ostrich. <laughs> I'm sure there's a market for that somewhere. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, who knows? If you're one of them, tell us, let us know. <laughs> and so development on the game progressed, but development had a share of problems, you know? Double Fine was a new studio and their lack of experience led to various setbacks because when you're new, you really don't know how to work through said setbacks. You know, initially there was the intent to allow all developers to have artistic freedom with the game. This created some internal strife with the team, particularly with level design. You know, they had initially planned for level designers to create the basic parts of a level, main paths, group of events, the level's design. Well, the artist would build out the world from that. But as development progressed, it was determined that artists should be the one constructing the level geometry, which the level designers resented. And so subsequently, levels were generated that were not to all these standards that they set in place because there were conflicts in the tool sets between the designers that, you know, the level designers and and the artists, and it just didn't work out. And of course, Schaefer was trying to be the boss, both technically and creatively and that's just too much for for everything you know you know at some point in development they made the decision to dismiss all but one of the level design team and they brought the level design and the art together into a world building team um that was overseen by the guy that would later become the game's lead designer um yeah so there was just a whole bunch of stuff that they had to change and, and learn as they, they went along. At some point, Schaefer stepped aside to focus on the creative part of the game, and he brought in a producer to actually take care of the producing part of it. You know, And so in this way, the team kind of worked, worked on them for a while, and then kind of near the end, they hit a publishing wall. Originally, Psychonauts was slated to be published by Microsoft as an exclusive Xbox release, but there were really a lot of relationship, a lot of problems with this relationship between Microsoft and Double Fine. You know, Double Fine felt that Microsoft was creating milestones for them that were unclear or difficult to meet. You know, because they had their own internal issues, there was really just confusion about these milestones and confusion on Microsoft. You know, to, to Microsoft about what they're doing. You know, Double Fine. Also really didn't like to make, they didn't want to make any of the changes that Microsoft suggested. Microsoft was playtesting the game and came up with all these changes, put them back and Double Fine was like, nah, we can't do that. So for instance, they basically wanted to change the whole game altogether. They wanted them to remove the premise of it being a summer camp, which the whole game takes place in a summer camp. They wanted to make the humor secondary to the story, and the humor is what everybody knows the game for nowadays. Between those things, they, they wanted to drastically alter this game completely and utterly, and Double Fine said, nah, we're not just gonna we're not gonna do that. And so it was in January 2004, Microsoft pulled the publishing deal, which forced the company to look for a new publisher. And in the meantime, they really struggled, you know, to have money to pay their employees. Now, Rob, little fun fact. One of the more notable source of funds came from none other than Will Wright, who we've discussed in multiple episodes before. This event happened just after Will had sold his company, Maxis, to Electronic Arts. And so he had money. He was flush with cash, as the youngins would say. Now what the youngins say. Sure, Dave. Uh, Yeah. Cool. 
So his Maxis deal prevented him, the terms of it prevented him from investing directly into Double Fine, but instead he floated a line of loans to Double Fine enter, you know, productions over the next several months that allowed the company to stay float until it found its a new publishing deal. So in, in some ways you could say, well, right, kind of saved this game. And uh, with that, Psychonauts was made. A whole lot to it. Kind of, sort of, huh? A little bit, yeah. It's it's quite quite the journey. I know I kind of bounced around, but for those of you who don't know what Psychonauts is, I would highly suggest playing it for starters. It is a really good game. If you don't want to play it, there are plenty of people who have playthroughs online you can watch. I The cutscenes video where it shows you all the cutscenes in the game was, I don't know, three, three and a half hours. It's kind of like watching a movie. It's not so bad. Psychonauts itself is a platform adventure game that tells the story of Raz. Raz is a young boy gifted with psychic abilities who runs away from the circus to try to sneak into a summer camp for those with similar powers to become a psychonaut, which is a spy with psychic abilities. Um, From there, he finds that there is a sinister plot occurring at the camp that only he can stop. The game is centered on exploring the the strange minds of various characters that Raz encounters as a psychedet to help them overcome their fears or their memories of the past, uh, which allows them to help him, you know, against the powers that be and and move forward in the game. So, and then you have all these fun psychic abilities. You know, you have telekinesis and psycho fire, whatever. Whatever the psycho is to to shoot fire and I like psycho fire, Dave. It's got a, a named psycho pyresis pyro, pyro. I don't know. I played it. I promised I played through a lot of it. I just knew I was running out of time to finish it. And I really wanted to finish the story, but it's a lot of fun. It is a very unique art style. Very funny game. A lot of really crazy characters. The milkman is is a great character there's a a giant lungfish literally it's a giant lungfish that's in your way and when you go into the lungfish's mind the lungfish is terrified of you and so you become a giant like godzilla character in the lungfish's world which is which is really funny um yeah there's just a lot of really great one of the characters uh is uh related to napoleon and he has a Napoleon complex and he's actually being controlled by Napoleon. So you meet Napoleon at some point. Bonaparte or dynamite? Bonaparte. Ah, oh, lame. Oh, this. I don't I was hoping I think... we got to meet Tina too. Uh, this, yeah, I think this might be before. Um... I'm sure it was Dave quite but, before. But yeah, so there's just a lot of, there's a lot of characters. This is, this is, this is a fun game. I missed it too. I'm glad I got to play it. This is a fun game. I do think the first one is a little dated. I mean, it. it, it I mean, it plays well. Don't get me wrong, but you're gonna look at it and you go, eh, it looks a little dated. Not the game itself, but the cutscenes definitely are, are cutscenes from you know way back when. But like I said, one of the things is is Double Fine would eventually get bought by microsoft and so their games are now game pass games and in 2020 i actually think it was this year earlier this year they released finally released a sequel to this game psychonauts 2 which is on game pass so if you're a game pass member you can go and play the sequel to this which is honestly it looks it looks a lot of fun because in this one you're a psycho psychodet you're a psychonaut in training and the trailer of the second one starts out i'm raz and this is my first day as a psychonaut (laughs) Now you're an actual psychonaut going on a, a mission. Fun times. Fun, fun times, Dave. Well, Rob, that was a whole lot about how we got there. And so the game came out and you now know what I think about it. Great game. Go play it. What did other people think about it? Well, we're going to start out with some critic reviews, Dave. So first up, we have Alex Navarro for GameSpot, who writes, Psychonauts is a quirky, offbeat game set in a special summer camp for clairvoyant kids, in which a group of psychic children end up in a wacky adventure filled with brain-stealing hijinks, psychic secret agents, and a little romance on top of everything else. It's rooted in the sorts of 3D platforming sensibilities we've all come to know over the years. 
but there's a spin to the game. It's psychic theme, which adds some cool puzzle solving to the usual platform jumping and swinging associated with the genre. Psychonauts also bears the unmistakable mark of designer Tim Schafer, known for classic adventure games Grim Fandango, Full Throttle, and Day of the Tentacle. Thanks to a hilarious array of peculiar characters and a story that never fails to entertain. Psychonauts doesn't reinvent the platformer, but it still delivers an experience that feels wholly original in every aspect of its execution. The most interesting aspects of Psychonauts characters don't come from their real-world conversations, but rather from their internal monologue. As Psychonauts revolve around a bunch of psychics, the bulk of your time will be spent traversing the perils of people's minds. This is where Psychonauts truly shines. You'll be able to enter the minds of more than a dozen different characters in the game, and each mind serves as one of its main levels. Each level is completely unique. For a game that has gone through four plus years of development and two publishers, Psychonauts turned out remarkably well. It's pretty evident where all that development time was spent, as each and every moment just seems so carefully crafted and polished to the point where you can't help but feel a deep appreciation for the whole experience. Players looking for a stiff challenge or an exceptionally lengthy adventure won't find it here, and those who specifically want to play the game on the PC aren't going to get the best version of the experience. However, anyone just looking for a fun and whimsical adventure with a brilliant presentation and a fantastic story will find just that in Psychonauts. It did turn out remarkably well. Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. We'll talk about that in a moment. Carry on. All right. Well, next up, we have Hillary Goldstein for IGN, who writes that Tim Schafer has a loyal legion of fanboys for good reason. The creator of PC Classics Full Throttle and Grim Fandango is one of the most innovative game designers in the industry. Previously, Schaefer worked at LucasArts, but left the company a half decade ago to start his own company, Double Fine Productions. After a long journey that involved multiple publishers and a slow development process, Psychonauts has finally landed on store shelves. Psychonauts' true genius is displayed when Raz enters someone's mind. Every mental level is tailored to that specific character. When Raz enters Velvet Painter Eduardo's mind, his costume changes to match the Velvet world. Eduardo is tormented by a bull, rampaging through the streets with an uncompromising rage. Another level has Raz playing in a board game where he continually shrinks, at first to manipulate the board, and then to attempt to recruit pieces for the game, and lastly, to enter their homes for exploration. The best level by far is when Raz enters the mind of the mutated lungfish. It turns out the lungfish is more afraid of Raz than anything else. Because of this, Raz is actually a giant within the lungfish's mind, and the level proceeds with Raz tearing through Lungfishopolis as the Godzilla-like Gogolore. As much fun as I had with the gameplay, it's the humor of Psychonauts that really makes it worthwhile. The first half of Psychonauts is unbelievably funny. After noting the Gogglers in search of his girlfriend, our hero Raz begins muttering about how he really isn't sure that he's exactly dating her yet. The rebel leader of the Lungfish looks up at Gogglor and says frankly, I only meant that she is a girl, and that she is your friend. Psychonauts starts off with a bang. The first half of this game is easily one of the most enjoyable I've had in the past year. But as is the case with many humorous games, the laughs begin to fade in the home stretch, and in the end, Psychonauts started to wear on me. This is an inventive game that's a bit too easy, and not quite as polished as it could have been. Sure, it's not a 10, but this is still a game I highly recommend to anyone who likes to be entertained. It is very entertaining. Also, it does kind of go from being a comedy that at the end of the game is more of a feel good type deal. Uh, that's OK. They both work. So they they both work. And it, I, I do think it was an enjoyable experience uh, the whole way through. Well, it seems that uh, many agree with you, Dave. But, do they? you know, that that's you and the critics. But I think we also want to hear from the most important. 
the players. Okay, what'd they have to say? Well, first we have Mark T on Metacritic, who gives it a 10 out of 10, writing that this game is a rare gem. The twisted 50s paranoia-filled neighborhood you wander in search of the milkman is a true classic. The hapless comments from the residents of Lungfishopolis are hilarious. While the camera angles are a pain sometimes, this is a must-buy for anyone who feels computer games need to be a little more adventurous and a little less formulatic. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs up, Dave. I mean, that's 10 out of 10. Two thumbs up. That's pretty positive. And speaking of, next up, we have Eric B. on Metacritic, who also gave it a 10 out of 10, writing that this game reminded me why I love video games. It had characters I actually cared about, a great storyline, and cool levels. The voice acting really helped with the immersion. I loved the totally different feel each level had. And I and although the puzzles were pretty easy, I had fun solving them. It took me about 14 hours to complete the game with about 95% of the items collected. But I can probably blow through it in 6 hours now that all the exploring is taken care of. If you like platformers, this is the best that's come out in quite a while. But Dave, although Mark T and Eric B both gave it a 10 out of 10, as with all games... Sometimes it's just not for everyone. Okay. So we have user PG on Metacritic, who gave it a 3 out of 10, writing that many games, writing many feel this game is revolutionary and shatters rigid industry boundaries and proves that games are art. I am not one of those people. I find it to be a below average platformer with wonky controls and excessive amount of item collection to keep the player playing. The mental powers add an interesting dynamic, but the controls make them usually too difficult to use properly. Since it was realized the game would not be revolutionary in regards to actually playing it, the publisher decided to make a wacky story with odd characters and making each level inside people's minds, which somewhat changes the gameplay from level to level, but it still comes down to hopping on platforms, collecting this, that, and the other thing, and mashing buttons to beat up bad guys. The story can be a tad hard to follow and is not spectacular either, though the voice acting and some of the wacky humor can be mildly entertaining. The too-long-didn't-read version, overhyped by bandwagoners. Just go play a Mario game or something. There may not be story, but at least you'll have fun. Yeah, whatever. I have fun. Nah, to see each their own. But finally, we also have AWG on Metacritic, who gave it a 5 out of 10, writing, What is this game supposed to be? A platformer? An adventure? What? I couldn't tell. Psychonauts tries way too hard to be funny and clever, but it's just chaotic. Gameplay could be good, but the number of useless, interrupting, irritating cutscenes is over 9,000! Never again. All right, well, I guess it's not for everybody, so. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that Psychonauts was a commercial failure. It sold, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand copies. And critics liked it, but people didn't buy it for whatever reason. And it really didn't pick up steam until later. It's one of those games we've talked about others before that, you know, were really poorly received on release. But in in hindsight, as a retrospective, people start buying it after the fact and they really like it. And and uh, and now it's a thing. I will tell you that Double Fine has uh, the version that you get nowadays is I mean, it's it's kind of remaster, but not a remaster. Like it, it's it's modernized a little bit for modern computers, so it probably plays a little bit better than the original one that everyone craps on, you know. But okay. they didn't really do new graphics or anything. I mean, it still looks like a game made in the two, early two thousands. But um, but yeah, you can buy it on Steam. Uh, I I think I've I think it came in a humble bundle a long time ago. I've owned it for a long long time, and uh, it plays well. I played it. I played it on my TV in my living room through my Steam Link, so that was fun. And um, and then yeah, then we watched the we watched the rest of it on the video, like I said. But um, that's kind of been Double Fine's thing. 
they have been acquiring the license rights to some of Tim's old games, like, for instance, Full Throttle and Grim Fandango and uh, and uh, Psychonauts here. And they've been, you know, putting a little bit of polish on them and re-releasing them. Graham Fandango got a, a, a more modern release recently. It was really good. It's a really fun game. You've probably, you would know that if you see it. The main character wears one of those dead, Day of the Dead skull masks. It's a very recognizable art style that you've probably seen and glanced over and just not really genuinely known what it was. But once you do know what it was, you'll know exactly, you'll know exactly what it is. It's a very unique art style. And then Psychonauts is a lot of fun. And there's a sequel to it. You should play it because it looks good. Have you played the sequel? I haven't yet. It's all, it's now on my list. I would like. To, right. I would like to play the sequel. Well, there you go. We don't another we, game for you. Yeah. Well, we don't have a game to play for next week because we're not doing a game. We're doing hardware. So maybe I'll be able to pick up a game because I don't have one to play for next week. Hmm. Yeah. Something to think about. Something to think about. Or maybe I should just you know do my job and research and write nah 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 that's no? not fun play no, the games i should slack and play video games heck yeah procrastination at its finest uh, but i have so much research to do and so many games to play it's very true lots of games to play and that lots is and research lots. that is also true playing games is research you know sometimes I think about what it would be like if we had chosen to do a modern podcast, like like modern gaming news and everything, because then we could like talk about the games we play week in, week out. It wouldn't be so double duty, but I kind of <laughs> like what we do. And I like, you know, I like the video game history. Well, hey, that's why you can officially call yourself a video game historian. Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> video games. I know. Y'all you know, did. I, on our discord recently everyone was photoshopping me onto video game historian stuff and my favorite was my face on the ancient aliens the george tezukas guy yes i know who he is uh the weird guy who does ancient aliens with the big hair someone photoshopped my face onto it so it was pretty good because i called myself a video game historian recently which i am we're 86 episodes i've now told 86 history stories about video games, I can't. I, I, can't I, uh, I don't know about that many, but eh, quite close. Okay, whatever. Whichever, that's fine. Well, we have a lot of video game stories. You know, eighty-six of them. That apparently almost eighty-six, according to Rob. If you want to go back and figure out just how many stories we have, you can do so by going to our website, which is www.memorycardlane.com. Also at memorycardlane.com, you can see a schedule of our upcoming events. There's a link where you could submit your own stories and memories about these games. There is a link to our Discord where I'm sure you could come see the stupid pictures of me. Um... There is a link to our social media. I am on Twitch as David is wrong. Rob, I've been thinking about streaming lately. I, I mean, we play the games anyways. I don't I don't know what the downside to it is. There you know isn't I mean? really one, Dave. Yeah, I think I should just do it. I've, I've been I've been I've been really getting close to streaming. So who knows? Maybe I'll use my Twitch handle, which is also David is wrong. What are you doing on Twitch these days? Well, once I finally get around to it as well, Dave, I'll be streaming on twitch.tv forward slash F-A-T-B-O-I-R-I-P-Z. Fatboy rips. Fatboy rips. All right. Well, each week we talk about the game. We try to teach you something new about it. What it took from the world as its inspiration or what it gave back to the world as its legacy. By teaching you, we learn things ourselves and we recognize that by going round table and telling you about our biggest takeaways for each week. And so Rob, what did you learn today? Well, I guess I learned that this, uh, this game had to go through multiple publishers. Cause you know, the whole backing out thing. I didn't really know about all that. I didn't know that Will Wright saved the day. That was a cool little that's, tidbit. That's actually really cool. And you know, it's, 
it's funny how he couldn't directly invest but could help with loans like it's it it, it seems kind of dumb because at the end of the day you're kind of doing the same thing so double fine's first game was psychonauts but double fine's second game was a game called brutal legend which i'm really surprised because i've asked you before that you've never played or even really heard of right right brutal legend is a real-time strategy slash like platforming hybrid game meaning it has both like stretches of both type of games and basically like you're a heavy metal rocker uh like trying to become a legend and it's not only is it cool with the cool soundtrack but it has like cameos from like lammy and ozzy and there's just a bunch of of cool stuff in it so it's like it's your music and you like real-time strategy um i'm really surprised that it flew underneath your radar although i will be honest with you so psychonauts and brutal legend while they were panned well by critics they didn't sell very well so that's probably why None of your friends probably had it, but you should find a way to play Brutal Legend because I do, I do, I have played it and I do think it's your style of game. So just hmm. a side note, I tell you that all the time and you never play new games, but that's OK. It's because I forget a lot of the time, Dave. <laughs> I have a lot of games to play. I don't. I know it. All right. Well, so what about yourself, Dave? Yeah, the Will Wright thing was new for me. I um. I don't know. I'm a Tim Schafer fanboy. I didn't even going to lie. A lot of his games I enjoyed growing up, you know, Monkey Island and and uh, Grim Fandango. I'm a I mean, a lot of this game is me. I, I played I, I loved Maniac Mansion. You know, that was fun. I never knew about scum. Let's just say scum was my my new takeaway because I didn't know that they they made a game engine for Maniac Mansion and I didn't know that they used that game engine to basically design most of the famous adventure games from Lucas Lucas Arts throughout the 90s. There, that's my takeaway. All right, Rob. Well, before I take it out of here, is there anything else you'd like to add to today's episode? As always, I just want to take a moment to say thank you to all of you who listen. It's a lot of fun on this ride, and we hope you're having fun too. But if you're not, or even if you are, tell us about it. Come say hi. Just talk to us. We're lonely. Yeah, we are. But you're all great. Thank you. Yeah, you are. All right. Well, I'm going to take it out of here. You good with that? Uh, Yeah, Dave, I sure am. So next week, we're going to be looking at a video game peripheral that, in all honesty, will be absolutely foreign to any North American gamer. It was released solely for the Super Famicom, which is the Japanese Super Nintendo in 1995. And it's called the Satellaview. And the Satellaview is a satellite modem peripheral that allowed players to download games, magazines, and other media through satellite broadcast. Now, the Satellaview only lasted about five years, but it's gained quite a following as time has progressed because it had a very unique library of games that we're going to talk about one such game that we're going to cover for instance is a legend of zelda game that does not feature link as the protagonist and that's just one of the 114 game library that we'll look at some of the highlights of when we talk about the satellaview so join us again next week for a special broadcast as we take another trip down memory card lane do the thing Doo-ba-doo-ba-ba-ba-doo-ba-ba-doo-ba-ba-doo-ba-ba.